Oh, hallelujah. How are you doing, the Lord, this morning? We are grateful to God. It is always by His grace. It's always by His grace. And many things happen. Yeah, many things happen. The course of the day, the course of the night, in our bodies, the processes are many, and we rise up by His grace. Hallelujah. And that's why we're always indebted to God. The Bible says that we are to ensure that we thank God every day and every time. When even there's no reason to do that. Because there are many things that happen on the other side that we don't know. Yeah. It's like driving, you know. Sometimes you can clearly see vehicles behind you in the mirrors. And the other times, they are just at your blind spot. And you may want to overtake, only to realize that there was a vehicle you didn't see. So, there are many things in life that we never see. And when we step into eternity, then we understand the better. And so, our thanksgiving must not always be based on reason. It must be an attitude. Hallelujah. Whether we feel it or not, we must say we thank you, God. Shall we pray? We stand before you again, almighty one. To you, all things answer, both the negative and the positive, including Satan himself, because you created us all. Lord, we are here and we are open. I pray that you speak, and I pray that, oh God, you feed your people. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. When I think about the nature of God, it blows my mind. And one of the things I still struggle to understand about God is why he should give human beings and angels what is called their free will. You know, it is very, very dangerous and risky. Especially when you are all-knowing and you know what can happen from now. The options that are available from the decisions you take. And so when God created angels and when God created human beings and gave them the free will, he landed the power in their hands. He said, you know what? I choose to give you the power to choose or not, including the power to follow me or not. And no, I advise that you choose, to the, I mean, you, you, you choose the right one. It doesn't really happen. It's all yours. And when he was doing it, he knew that we can take the other end and there can be very serious repercussions. Like Lucifer took the other end and up to now, the whole world is in the process of solving that problem, bringing it back. It will take thousands of years. Yeah, finally, as the book of Revelations makes us know, before the things are restored and there is no sin and Satan is dealt with and Edenic Joy is restored. Yeah, maybe I don't have to say God doesn't care, but I want to say that the wisdom of God and the power of God is so deep that it doesn't really matter any alternative that is picked. His wisdom brings it back. Hallelujah. And that is that. I think that this is one of the greatest things that God has done to give us our free will. And in all things, we see God just making us know fully. You know, the people who hold power in many ways 
they would want to control us. Satan himself, he has some small power, and he will always want to control us. People who have power in one way or the other, they want to control people. They want to have them under their control. And that's why I, I get marveled why God would not do that. But he wants to liberate us. He wants us to know. He wants us to be okay and make evolution, I mean, evolutionary decision, our own will, that I choose to love you. I choose to do this. Praise the Lord. That means that human beings are not controlled by compulsion. Now, do this. And do this. And try it with your youth. It will never work. But then, love and freedom, people will grow into responsibility in it and do what they have to do. This nature of God is displayed in giving as well. The truth is that it's God who gives us all things. My Bible even said that if he gave us a son, why would he not, along with him, give us all things? Yeah, but the thing is that though he gave us all the things, he doesn't compulse us in any way to give him by force. He would always want us to have the freedom. He would always want us to, to respect us and say that I just wanted to check how far you understood me and how this relationship has gone to, I mean, how far it has gone by asking you if you will give me. I mean, just like you bought a bread, give it to your little baby or your child, sorry, and then you said the whole loaf is, is yours. And then in no time you say, can, can I have a piece of bread? And they say, no, I won't give you. Hmm. God is a mother who is saying, oh, have the loaf. It doesn't really matter whether you decide to give me or not. It doesn't really matter. But I just wanted to check whether you understand me enough. And when we come to Genesis 22, we see God running that test with Abraham. After all the works, the sacrifices, all the things, the D-Day comes. When God goes, God goes this way, Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your son for me. I'm talk he said that I'm talking about the son you love. I mean Ishmael. Hmm. So he said, in case, Abraham, you wanted to give me anything, no, that's not it. I'm talking about more, something that is dearer to your heart. And God went all the way and then spotted the most treasured of all the things in the life of Abraham. And then when God laid his hand on Isaac, Abraham felt it. This happened in the night, according to my Bible. But 22, the early verses, verse 1 or 2 of Genesis, it says that he rose up very early in the morning before the breaking of day. What does it mean? He went to wake Isaac up. Isaac, get up. Just in time. Obedience at first level. Really, the highest forms of obedience do not take time. They don't cause people in any way. Because the Bible says that. So, that is what happened early in the morning. The Bible says that he got up and took his dearest of the dearest. Went all the way on Mount Moriah. Later to become where Jesus died. According to the sources. And I just can picture God... Looking at Abraham, let's see what he will do. 
and Abraham getting up, walking all the way, and all the things that will go through a man's mind. Mama, is Isaac really going to die? How long did it take me to get him? So what is the future without Isaac? And, but God has said that he's going to bless me. So what is this? Hey, Really, I've never seen this side of God. You caused me to kill. But they, they, they mounted, I mean, he went up the mountain all the way, and his son would not keep quiet. Daddy, what are we going to use to sacrifice? And daddy this, and daddy that. And they finally get there. He gets the altar prepared. He binds the boy. He pushes on it. And then he takes, I mean, the, the sword, as it were. And just when he was just about doing, God said, Hey, Abraham, stay your hand. Don't do it. It's only a test. Anyway, I made an arrangement. Look, that's a ram. I mean, the ram. I brought it. He looked there and it was in the ticket. The Bible says that God had made a provision for himself. God had made a provision for himself. Then God said, Abraham, you know what? Now I know. So in blessing, I will bless you. He's talking about a blessing of a mountain, a blessing that stands out among many blessings. He said, in blessings, I will bless you. That's when God said that your descendant, blah, 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 blah. They would number the stars. They would number blah, blah, blah. God said, Abraham, now you are past. And things begin to happen in a different way in the life of Abraham. So that's that. God only checking on us, checking on the friendship. And when you read the Bible, now I will take you, I feel in my spirit that I don't even have to mention topics and those things. But I want to just paint a picture. It's a reflection I'm doing with you today. And I am trying to let you understand the mind of God, the behavior of God on these things. And then after that, I'll go out of your way. And so maybe I'll let us do, go through the scriptures a bit, just a bit. Let's begin from the book of Luke, Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16. And then maybe we will do verse... Maybe verse 9. Verse 9. I tell you, use godly, or you, sorry, I tell you, use worldly wealth. The adjective there is worldly. Use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves. So that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. I tell you, that's Jesus talking. Jesus gave a parable and he was just wanting to teach a scripture, I mean, a, a, a lesson. But now he has finished with the parable and now he has come to the application. And so he says that, I tell you the truth, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings Number one, Jesus makes us know that wealth has only worldly relevance of a kind. And 
it resonates with the word of God because when you come to scriptures like 1 Timothy chapter 6, I think verse 6 or so, or verse 10, he says that, for we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing away out of it. And he said that, so godliness with contentment is a great gain. But the point is that nobody can really bring anything to this world. Like you came with your phone. Your phone, your share yard, and the middle realized, oh, this guy came with his phone. Or when you are going, you managed to go with your spectacle. No, it doesn't happen that way. So when he says that worldly wealth, he wants to say that it is probably of relevance now. You get so much of it or you don't have it, and then you are leaving, you leave it behind. And then he also says that use this thing that is relevant only in this time period to gain friends. I will explain more about that one, to gain friends. He's talking about sharing. He's talking about meeting needs. He's talking about connecting with other people. And then he moves on to say that so that when it is gone, he's talking about the what? The, the, the fleeting nature or the, there's a word I'm trying to get, of money. Money in some ways has wings. And whether we like it or not, they don't stay in our hands forever. The notes keep changing. I have a story that my mother-in-law was trying to write. It was about a missing coin. The missing coin got into the writer's attention when somebody gave it as a change. And then he also sent it, and then the missing coin was used to do this, and it went to assist Abna, and then it went here, then it was sent to the bank, later it was taken to the treasury, then it came out. So who, who owns that coin? Nobody. It's in circulation, it's moving around. Yeah, that's how money is. Today it's with you, the next day it's gone, other notes come and go. The value is what you are checking. But the value itself too, it keeps going up and down. Sometimes it may go so down, and if you're not careful, you have BP cry. But he's saying that so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. He may either be saying that so that when it is no longer of relevance and you are passed on, because the Bible says that God has planted eternity in the heart of man. It means that we will live forever. It means that we will not be extinguished. There's never going to be a time that you will not be existing. God created you. It's part of the, the, the packages God gave us. That like him and like the angels, we should also live forever. Yeah, but at a point in time, based on your decisions to follow Christ and what you do, you may end up, I mean, passing, moving on the rest of your life. Either in damnation or with God. But the point is that when the, part, the time has passed and probably money is not of relevance again and you have done what the Bible is talking about, you will be welcome into eternal dwellings. Eternal dwelling, you'll be welcome into heaven. Then verse 10, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, then who will trust you with true riches? So money is actually not part of the true, true riches altogether. It doesn't mean it's not, it's not, it's not good, but 
Uh, it is, uh, it's like uh, when I was young in class one, I had a shoe. It helped me a lot. But when I moved on, now I don't even remember the color of that shoe. Because it has served its purpose. I journey on, but I don't need it again. We will journey on into eternity. We will not need money again. That's the picture. But he's saying that in your total journey of life, in your total journey of life, he's saying that if you are not faithful with this thing that you came to handle in just a short time, who is going to trust you with the true riches? Anyway, just for information, there are about seven things in life that are more important than money or that are worthy than money or I don't know that are some of them are salvation, life, peace, the anointing and so many of them which we'll look at one day. But I think my point is clear enough about the picture the Bible is painting about money here. So, so the Bible is actually letting us understand and placing where money really belongs. I'll come back to this line, but let me just paint a picture, just two pictures, of how different people handled money. Or, and I bring you home about offering, just about two or three. Or maybe let me continue. Sorry, I'll continue with this line. And so I'll move you to First Timothy, rather. Let's look at First Timothy. Chapter 6, verse 17. And this Apostle Paul, an old apostle, talking to Pastor Timothy that he had put in charge of the church. And he's telling him that make sure that in a church they are all together, but they are different groups. We have the Sunday school people, we have the young, the youth, we have the men, we have the women, we have this. As you preach to all of them together, make sure that you give attention to their individual needs or unique needs as well. This is very important. Then he talks about other social categories in the church. One of them that he talks about is the rich. Later he will talk about the poor. Later he will talk about slaves. Later he will talk about masters. And how they are all to live their lives. But he says this to rich people. 1 Timothy 6, 17. Command those who are rich in this present world. Command them. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and be willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Let me read it again. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put your hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment, and then command them to do good, to be rich in goodies, and to be generous, and be willing to share. For in this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that it's truly life. Don't worry too much about the word command. It means teach them. Yeah, teach them. 
And he, his charge was not that he would command such important people in the church or such, I mean, people of God. The language of Apostle Paul to young Timothy is that treat the older people with a lot of respect. And that is that. But he's saying that teach everybody who in one way or the other, by the grace of God, has become rich in this present world. Rich means you have more of it. To be rich in knowledge means you have more knowledge. To be rich in money means that you have more money. Here he's talking about money. And so, though he says that, I mean, though I've given you the picture that the Bible gives the indication that God created us before he created the world and even appointed us unto good works, there is a time that he makes us enter the fiscal world. And when we enter the fiscal world, some things are very relevant for our work here. One of them is money. So he said that tell those people who, by the grace of God, have been able to get a lot of money in this present world. Teach them. Don't let them go untaught. And teach them. Teach them not to be arrogant. But rather, let them put their hope, sorry, nor to put their, their, their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. He says that. Tell them that, fine, it's good to be rich and all that, but if you put your hope in money, because I didn't know, it's just like the, <laughs> today is here, the next day is here, COVID-19 comes in and the figures go, shh, and your heart. They tell us this is a very, very, I mean, good investment to do. You do it and the factors have changed. And so, you are here, the next day you are here, something is good just for a moment, another thing comes Turn it all around. So the right biblical teaching is that, yes, it's good, but teach them about it. Tell them that where they put their hope is very important. And money is only transitory. It is fleeting, and then it is also uncertain. That is the word, uncertain. But rather, God is permanent. I remember when I was a pastor in the north, I was praying one dawn at a school, a primary school just somewhere. And the Lord began to speak to me. He said, Could you? You know that I'm the unchanging one. Of all the things you see, <laughs> I mean, all the things you see are speedily passing. Shim, 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 shim. But they are, they are running that way in the eyes, in the presence of somebody who is permanent. And I'm the one. If you want to stay, rely on me. Praise the Lord. The Bible says even heaven and earth will pass away. So many things pass, and money is one of them. And I only pray this, don't I pray that the Spirit of God will only, that's why I'm not worrying myself with going with the things I've written. But I'm only trying to allow him that he himself will minister. This is very important. So maybe back to whatever I was saying. Let them know that it's uncertain. And it will not be wise to put your hope in what is not certain. Rather, let them put their hope in the source. Let their hope be the man. Their hope is not in a thing called money, which eventually is determined by somebody. But in a man, the Christian's hope is in a being, a man, the unchanging one, the almighty one, the one who created us. So he said that let them rather put their hope in God, who richly provides us everything for our enjoyment, including money. 
So really, it must shift to God. Really, it must shift to God. Really, it must shift to God. And so when it shifts to God, we come back to Genesis 22. God is saying that, Abraham, now this is the test. I want to know whether it's this Isaac who can be compared with money. Or it's me. And so I'm here and Isaac is there. Let's see the one you pick. And then Abraham moves quickly. He wants to go. He's saying, oh, God, it's you. No matter what. And then eventually he passes the test. I'll leave you very soon. But if I took, I'm to come back to what I read, I mean, to 1 Timothy 6, 17. Let them put their hope in God who richly provides us everything for our enjoyment. God is good. And when I read the Bible, I just cannot. You follow people like Ahab and all what they are doing, how God is, God is not happy with them. God sends a man of God, go talk to Ahab. The man of God talks to Ahab. And Ahab will say, oh, God. And he begins to pray, oh, God. And I'm very sorry. And God said, turn back and go and speak to Ahab. See what Ahab is doing. If I you read the Bible, he tells the man of God, see what Ahab is doing. Look at how beautiful what Ahab is doing is. Tell him that whatever I said will not come to pass, at least not in his time. And yesterday, we were doing a training for the youth workers at Tema. I was telling them about Cain. You see, Cain, you go and offer. They all gave offering. And the Bible said that to Cain and his offering, God did not have favor. But God accepted Abel and accepted his offering. So really, it was not about the offering they brought. The Sunday school teachers lied. That they bell brought in, uh, into Sapro and those things. It's not true. <laughs> and some people say that as for Abel, the Bible says that his portion was fat lambs, the firstborn. And then for Cain, the Bible says he brought some offering. Then I told them that some. Who said some is bad? Some is used for some, the things you cannot count. So he brought some rice, some maize. We can say some maize and we mean a whole place full of maize. And it's some maize. So what are you talking about? But the Bible says that on Cain and then his offering, God did not have favor. He did not accept. But when you begin to read, I'm not talking from Genesis chapter 4, verse 1 to 12. But as you go down, you see why God didn't accept Cain. Took time and planned. Took his brother to the bush where nobody can save him and killed him. And normally when people kill people and they see the blood, they, they say, what did I do? Um, this one, he killed him. And after that, God said, what have you done? Where's your brother? Then he talked to God. Am I my brother's keeper? So you see the heart of Cain. That is why God didn't accept him. You understand? That is the heart of Cain. But the reason why I brought Cain in is that how God dealt with this rebellious Cain, he said, Cain, why are you angry? When his offering was not accepted and he vented his, he was talking and God said, Cain, why are you angry? If you do the right thing, will you not be accepted? 
That is Cain. I just want you to do the right and repent. And I will accept you. It's not a permanent no. Don't you understand? It's just a change. And Cain, know this, that sin is crouching at your door. It wants to destroy you. But don't allow it. Master it. Cain didn't mind. And later, the sin mastered. He has started engineering jealousy and how his brother was outshining him and how to do away with him. And then he processed it all the way and made it happen. So though God warned him about this in the process, he didn't listen. And it happened. But I'm talking about the man. And look at his attitude even towards the vilest offender. Is that not it? He says that if you do the right thing, will you not be accepted? King, just understand. Everybody here, listen. The man is the permanent one. Every other thing is passing. Listen. At the end of the day, human beings will live eternally. I told you so because God has planted eternity in the heart of man. Ecclesiastes 3. And the man, the almighty one, will also live eternally. But the question is, are you going to be eternally with him or not? Yeah. Money will be gone. Long time ago, money will not give account, actually. Our clothes will not give account. They would have gone because they only were part of the journey. At the end of the day, we will remain. But where will it be? But because of time, he said that let them put their hope in God who richly provides everything for our enjoyment. He is good. And even when we have sinned, he is still there for us. God is just good. And if you are here, I want to tell you on the authority of the word of God that there is room at the cross. The man's heart is bleeding. God loved us. He loves you, and he will never give up on you. Praise the Lord. You have to come home. You have to come home. Your home is God. But verse 18, command them to do good. To do good. If money is not going to follow them to eternity, then what is the smartest way to use money? That's what the Bible is talking about. Teach them that this thing cannot go there, but they can smartly make investment with this thing. And so he said that, teach them to do good. To be rich in goodies. He's bringing other people in. And to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. He says that money gives you the opportunity. Though it doesn't go into eternity. It gives you the opportunity to lay a foundation for yourself in eternity. Saying that you can invest money actually in the next life. That is what he's saying. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. If you read the other versions, he says that teach them to be rather rich in good deeds. Good deeds will be rewarded in eternity. Good deeds will, will be in our county in eternity, but not the fiscal money. That is why, ladies and gentlemen, as I conclude, I bring you back to the first scripture I read, which is the book of Luke, chapter 16. Luke 16, verse... Verse 9, 
I tell you the truth, that use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves. It means that do good to people. Do good. So that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. It's talking about something you are doing among people. It's talking about something you are doing with the money. But he's saying that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. What he's talking about? It's a conversion rate he's talking about. And he's saying that, tell the rich that this is the nature of money. Let them convert the money God gives them into investment in heaven. There are many ways we do that. And one of them is when God, I mean, the work of God, the expansion of God's work, like what we have before us today. I was so happy when I came here in the COVID time to know that you are taking a bold decision to change this because it was roofing. I thought that this is a very wonderful way to use the COVID period because nobody was here and the time was just, yeah, and so I was very happy. And when, uh, by the grace of God, the leadership asked that I come and preach, I was so happy because I was interested, as a civil engineer, I was interested in the, in the building and then even the decision to look at it in the COVID period. And I'm so happy that I have the opportunity to share the word of God with you. I have prayed to God this done that I don't want to just come and say many things which doesn't do anything, but that the Spirit of God will speak to us. So I will share one and two, and then I'll bring this message to an end. When I was in the north as a pastor, my first station, there was a time that we had the fundraising, and I think that they said that the, uh, what they had got, I mean, the, the highest amount they had got before them was 600 Ghana cities. And here we were with, with church buildings collapsing. I was taken to one local assembly, and then when I went there, this was a broken structure made of mud, and it had grown weedy because for eight months the church had not been there. It was broken. And when I went there, they were showing me, oh, pastor, so this is one of our assemblies. Then I saw a very big owl, owl, right? That bed, owl. Very fat one, fly out of the, the church room. Then I said, you are gone forever in Jesus' name. So this was the project we were trying to raise money for. I was praying I went to the school place there and I was praying the dawn. Then the Holy Ghost spoke to me and said that, actually, you know there are two ways to be rich in this world. Then I said, no. Then he said that, well, no, he said there are three ways. Sorry, sorry. There are three ways. I wrote, I wrote all this down. There are three ways to be rich in this world. One of them is for a man to work very hard uh, to make money. It will work and succeed. But the thing is that by the time you work harder and you get your money, <laughs> you would have also had so many casualties. <laughs> if you don't drop sugar, you have to drop other salt or something like that. Then he said that, oh, the power of the wicked world can also make people rich. But the sacrifice is so huge. Normally you pay for it with your soul which is the most important thing. The Bible says, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? What does it mean? Put the soul on a balance and the whole world on the other side. Your soul will weigh more. 
That's why Sakawa doesn't make sense. So somebody, the devil can help you, is there. Very soon you'll be rich all over the place. But you pay heavily. At the end of the day, we'll be no cry. But God was telling me that the third source is myself, the creator. The one who says the silver is mine and the gold is mine, says the Lord. Praise the Lord. And I am able to make men rich. It's my will to make men rich. Then the conversation progresses. You know, there are very few rich people in the world. Wealthy people, I mean. I said, yes. So because being rich is not easy. Being rich is not easy, but I have the shortcut to make people wealthy. And so as you go to the fundraising, tell them that I, if I'm trusted, I am able to make men worthy. And this is my will for my people. And so I told God that, oh God, this thing you have said, let me see it in the Bible before nine o'clock and we go and start the church. So I was looking very hard to turn the Bible here and there. The Holy Ghost took me to Isaiah chapter 45, verse 3. Isaiah 45, verse 3. And my experience with this text will never leave me. He said that he was talking about Cyrus, somebody who was not even a believer that God had found, and God was going to use him for his will. He said that, I will give you hidden treasures, riches stored in secret places, so that you may know that I am the Lord, the God of Israel, who summons you by name. I will give you. God said the reason why many people are not worthy is that, and, and not from sir. This riches are hidden. They are in secret places. You, you need the keys. You need the shortcut. And as the conversation progressed, God was telling me many things about how the shortcut he, he provides. He brought me to the book of Matthew where there was the time for Jesus to pay the tax and they came after him. And Jesus asked Peter and he said, go and throw the net that you are going to catch a fish, open the operculum, and then you are going to find a piece of gold. Go sell it and pay. Very simple, as if it's all planned. Go throw the net, do it this way, do it this way, then it works. Then I remembered when we were young, some man who came to give a testimony at a convention. He said they had suffered enough in life. The Holy Ghost said, go and try carrots. Try carrots, go and plant carrots. That was the secret of his sources. Jim Lyon said, God told him to go into waste management. So when we are saying that God, I mean, that day, the Lord was telling me that I provide shortcuts to riches indeed. This shortcut may be, number one, people that I may bring my people to have a contact and it will change their lives. Like Esther's contact with Mordecai. And then ideas, heavenly ideas, do this, try this. No, it's not wise to be in this at this time. Can you consider this? Those ideas from God. And then the other ones are information that the Lord will let you see and other things like that. And I remember that when I was sharing this in church, for the first time, one woman, she wept from the back, weeping. Those days, I want to give 10 million. I want to give. It didn't make sense. Weeping to the front, other people gave. I didn't know my church so when we finished by then, we had 75 million. We were on top, cry. Hey. 
the Lord had come in. So, I believe that the Lord has finished using me to speak to us this morning. The word is clear. He's calling you to show your love to him by this. Give because you love him. Give because you know where to put your hope. And give because you are his child. And he gave you all things. And he's asking you back. May the Lord bless you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's humbly stretch forth our hands to our director and bless him.